Welcome to Truth Well Spoken, the official podcast for McCann Health and an opportunity to connect across disciplines, companies, and countries in our mutual pursuit of endless truth-seeking. I'm your host, Matt Silver, and we've reached a milestone today with episode 10 of the podcast, and we want to thank the McCann Health Network and our listeners for getting us here. And to mark our 10th episode, we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, an extremely important topic in any industry. And to have this discussion effectively, we couldn't just discuss among ourselves, so we put together a panel of speakers from around the world who are actively engaged in the DEI space. Today's conversation is led by our guest host, Audrey Williams out of California. She is the Global Associate Director of DEI Programs. And our panel includes Alice Choi, the Chief Operating Officer of McCann Health Medcoms in Macclesfield, Nagendra Singh, Digital Director at McCann Health Hong Kong, Michelle Garnier, Head of HR for McCann Health London, Simon McCrudden, Chief Strategy Officer in Melbourne, Vijay Sarma, VP of Expert Audiences in Toronto, Charlie McDevitt, Group Business Director in Melbourne, and Cassidy Cardone, Strategist from McCann Health New Jersey. A couple things to note while listening to this episode, McCann Health hosts a day for meaning dedicated to understanding and furthering DEI. And you'll also hear about the genesis of the sixth C, which is a part of McCann Health's proprietary strategic framework. So now here's Audrey with our panel on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Audrey Williams. We're so excited today to have global uh, participation from across our network. We have people from our Melbourne, Australia office. We're joined by folks from Hong Kong. Uh, We have London, we have Canada, um, and we also have North America, McCann Health, New Jersey. So thanks everyone. I would love to just jump right in. We have so much to cover. Um, One place that I would love to start, brand new in 2021, there's a communique Healthcare Award, which is a leadership award for action on workforce diversity and inclusion. And I thought this would be such a lovely place for us to begin our conversation because congratulations goes to McCann Health Medical Communications for their award-winning submission, DNI in our DNA. We have Alice Choi joining us. Alice, please tell us where you're joining us from, your role at McCann, And what does it feel like to be recognised by the industry for this award? Thank you so much, Audrey. So as you mentioned, I'm Alice Choi. I am based in an area of the northwest of England called Macclesfield, which is um, a semi-rural area. But for some strange reason, it is the global epicentre of medical communications. (laughs) I don't know why that is, but it's um, an unusual feature of the area. And um, in my day job, I'm the Chief Operating Officer for McCann Health Medcoms and also the Exec Director for the um, McCann Health Global Scientific Council. So, yes, we were absolutely thrilled to win this inaugural award. And I think the fact that this award now exists speaks volumes about the importance of DE&I in our industry. Um, it, it was actually less daunting than we we thought it would be because we were able to really 
speak from the heart and share some of the things that we'd done, which include things like putting our DNI council in place. We've put um, several training and dialogue and exchange initiatives in place, things like reverse mentoring. We are asking all of our management teams to um, put KPIs in place for DNI activities moving forwards. So I think the important thing is, is that it's been a, a top-down and a bottom-up initiative that everyone in the business has embraced. So yeah, absolutely thrilled, Audrey. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alice. So that leads to the next question. Uh, how can diversity on a team inspire inclusive brand planning? So just curious if any of you uh, can speak to that. Yeah. Yes, um, Nagendra, so I just, please. Yeah, I just wanted to share uh, uh, something from our perspective. Uh, here in Hong Kong, when we talk about diversity and inclusion, it's, it doesn't have to be all the big things that... Uh, that we have to address, but uh, we can always so start small. So for example, uh, you know, in Asian cultures, for example, there could be uh, a big uh, gap between people who are at senior positions versus people who are uh, starting out. So uh, what we've done is that as a part of our Global Value Ambassador Program, one of the initiatives that we've taken here is that uh, there could be small initiatives, like for example, inviting the youngest members of the team to share their opinions first, or something like we've also dedicated uh, a five-minute section, which happens right after the uh, the status meeting that we have every two weeks, uh, wherein people can come in and share about themselves, right? So it doesn't have to be really, from our experience, it doesn't have to be really big uh, initiatives, but uh, small, small things can really champion the cause of diversity and inclusion as well. Okay. And Gendra, forgive me, um, please remind us where you're joining us from and your role at McCann. Yeah, my name is Nagendra. I'm the digital director at McCann Health Hong Kong. I've been working with uh, McCann for the last five years now. And I'm also a part of Global Value Ambassadors uh, Initiative uh, within McCann Health. Could you say more about that, the ambassadorship? Yeah, so uh, it's a global uh, group uh, wherein um, we have about seven, eight individuals, and we are essentially uh, discussing some active steps that we can take to champion uh, diversity and inclusion uh, at our workplace. Uh, well, Hong Kong office is not uh, very diverse. We have a few foreigners in here, and most of the employees are uh, Chinese. However, the way we see diversity and inclusion here is quite different from the way uh, probably the, the colleagues from uh, other offices will be seeing. Here, the issues are more towards, say, racism. Uh, the issues are around equality. The issues are around classism. So uh, the issues are particularly very different. So we are approaching it in a different way. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh, something that's come up in different conversations as well. Um, being part of a global network, understanding that each of our regions has its own um, circumstances and histories and things that play into what uh, factors affect diversity and inclusion and fostering that sense of belonging. So um, I'd love to turn now to Michelle Garnier. Uh, Michelle, please uh, let us know where you're joining from and your role. And um, I'd love to talk to you about some of the challenges around diverse recruitment. Hi, yeah, thanks, Audrey. Um, Michelle Garnier, I'm the head of HR for McCann Health London. Um, been with the organization for a few years now. Um, and I think 
certainly I think there's a couple of things in I guess the UK um, and possibly more globally from a recruitment perspective that we've been focused on um, particularly last year and at the end of last year so I think historically my understanding of agency and industry um, obviously because we're part of a large network and it's a network driven type of industry I think that we were trying to move away from not referrals as such, but um, somebody knowing somebody and then making the referral and things like that, which is which is great. But I think the challenge for us from a recruitment perspective is that it potentially doesn't um, engage the diversity of um, thinking um, from that perspective. So we've actually launched at the it was at the beginning of 2020, but we've we've, we've kind of moved into it a bit more now is a creative internship program. And that was really focused on ideas can come from anywhere and therefore so can our talent. Um, and we work very closely. So it's intern, a 12 week internship program specifically looking for creatives. Um, and we work with an organisation called Creative Access. And they're very prominent in the UK um, from the point of view of socioeconomic background. Um, that kind of diversity as well. They work with a number of different um, agencies, publishers, and that sort of thing. So every, in the creative space, and that's that their goal is is to diverse hiring really. So we're partnering with them. We're also partnering with um, an organisation called um, a university called SCA, and it's it's a very creative focused university. And I know it's a university, but they do scholarships as well. So I think they have a very DNI focus, and that's another reason why we wanted to work with them. And I think the real reason for doing that was to try to bring different people into the business with diverse thinking in order to maintain creativity and diverse thinking as well. Um, so I think from a recruitment strategy perspective, like going forward, that's really where I think we want we want to be. We want to be looking at what are the different ways in which we can recruit. Do we need somebody with a university degree? Could we train people from an apprenticeship perspective, which is more kind of vocational training? You know, really looking at what the roles need um, in from a qualification perspective, um, and deciding how then you can kind of reach out to those kind of individuals as well. So I think that's you know the big challenge is is, is finding those organisations that can support that, um, and I think we're doing we're trying to do a lot more work in that space. Interesting. So you said a phrase that I've heard, but um, I wonder if you might uh, be able to say more about it. This idea of diversity of thought. Could you explain yes. that a little bit? Unpack that for us. I guess my understanding of the diversity of thought is that. I think we all understand ourselves and we all think in a particular way. And I think that, you know, so we're more inclined to perhaps be more comfortable with people that think in a similar way to us or might reflect our values or, or things like that. Um, and so really what we're trying to do is bring in people that ha have different values, were brought up in different ways, because that obviously will affect the way you think about things and the way that you approach a problem or you know tackle a particular subject matter and that's really what I think create gives the ability to create ideas is to have different people that think differently and that can bring different ideas to the table 
And so really our goal is to make sure that we're not necessarily hiring everybody that thinks in the same way because you might end up getting the same ideas over and over again and actually we're trying we want to make sure that you know the idea generation that that we bring is innovative it's unique you know it pushes boundaries and you know it's really about the quality of the product and I think the best way to achieve that is by bringing different people in from different backgrounds that perhaps think differently and that could be across not just socioeconomic group, but it could be across you know, um, different neurodiverse ways of thinking. Obviously, people that come from different, um, right, perhaps religious or you know, race backgrounds and things like that. So really thinking about those sorts of things. Hey, Michelle, it's Simon from Melbourne here. I just want to, um, I, I guess, second what you're saying. I think um, diversity and, and inclusion is obviously a, a good end in itself and we should be doing that because it's the right thing to do but I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there which is it's also fundamentally a really good thing for the business we're in which is creativity and originality and finding new ways to solve problems because that's ultimately what um, our clients value us for and I think diversity itself brings the diversity of thought that makes us better at, our, at the business that we're in so I think it's a a fantastic articulation that you just said there, and I fully support mm. it. Yes. This is critical. Thank you both for sharing. Um, what I was thinking as you were speaking, Michelle, was that in terms of diversity of thought, I know here in, I'm in America, uh, California, and when we think about diversity, there's certain ways that we talk about diverse uh, people and talent. And um, we have a phrase here, BIPOC, which stands, it's an acronym that stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. And uh, I've heard, for example, in the UK, I think uh, there's a, a different phrase, B-A-M-E. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is that a phrase that you use there? Can you talk about that? And what, what does that stand for? It's um, B, It's black and ethnic, my black, F B. sorry, I always get the, the, the names mixed up. It's describing a number of different ethnic groups as in a category of a group. Uh -huh. um, so black and ethnic minorities. Oh, wonderful. And so here I was trying to imagine what it means. I thought it meant Black, Asian, and Middle Eastern. That's so, see, <laughs> we need to keep having these global conversations so that we can enlighten each other um, and broaden each other's perspectives. But I wanted to also go back to uh, Simon, something that you touched on. So the role of diversity, equity, and inclusion in our tactical ideas um, as we're building uh, creative teams. Um, can you speak more to that? Like, how do you, in effect, like, um, I'm not sure, like, the demographics and, and what it looks like in your Melbourne office, but can can you speak to um, inclusive brand planning and inclusive campaign? Like, can you just uh, maybe share with us, like, some examples of how that's been? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I'm, we'll come on to talk about the 60 in, in more detail later, but um, I think... Um, I mean, a, a fairly recent example for one of our clients. Um, it was a client whose um, uh, was whose origins are in um, from Hong Kong, actually. Um, and but in Australia, nobody knows that this brand had Hong Kong origins. And um, during the brand planning process, um, it hadn't even come up as a consideration for us. We were so um, focused on what the brand had always stood for, and we were trying to look in the same places to drive growth. And I remember um, really, it was a very kind of moving conversation with one of 
um, our uh, staff members who uh, was quite junior actually, but her family um, was from Hong Kong and she came and spoke to me and said it, it actually really bothered her that we hadn't been um, exploring the origin and history of this brand as, as a source of truth and interest and insight as a way to position it in Australia. And um, it, it was just a really interesting provocation. And I think it just reminded me of the importance of, of being very open to um, that diversity of thought that Michelle touched on, because it does spark you to think differently about a brand or a situation in a way that you hadn't before, because you bring all of your own biases and your own associations to any given brand or problem. Um, so I think the more that you can do as an agency leader to foster a culture that is inclusive, but also open to contribution and, and commentary and um, input from everyone and their background, the, be the better we're going to be because we're going to think more broadly about um, the issues in front of us. Absolutely. I think what you're speaking to, Simon, is um, the benefits of having a diverse brand team. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and so the, the impact that that has on our creative execution. Thank you for that. I think that's a great segue. Um, we've just all experienced the uh, day for meaning. And I'm just curious around the globe, um, what what were some of the sort of key points or if anyone um, could share some of the, the experiences that you had with day for meaning and any impact that it's had in your local offices? So Audrey, I can um, share our um, perspective from the Medcoms team for starters. So I think the very big theme that came through was a desire for more connectivity amongst all of our, our team members. And I'm guessing that some of that may have been driven by the past 18 months experience of, of people working from home. But I would say that was most definitely the overriding theme that came through for us. And it'd be interesting to see what everyone else found in their days for meaning. Yeah, that definitely came up. Obviously, the theme was connection. So that it was very much at front of mind for people. Um, but but certainly, I think that um, the connection piece is what's missing from being able to kind of build the type of culture that, that you want. Obviously, you know, having everybody remote just has its limitations. And I think the physical connection um, is so important to, to culture and also to the, the, the conscious inclusion piece as well, because being able to see somebody's body language or, you know, all the things that might come with being able to be in a more inclusive, um, I think, tend to be more limited when you're either on camera or your camera might be switched off. So it's just your voice and, and things like that. Um, but definitely more connection. And I think the interesting thing in our discussion, Michelle, to your point, was that some people definitely wanted to get together and have that physical connectivity, but there were others who had found silver linings and actually been able to connect more online. So I think to kind of find that hybrid best way moving forwards, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think some roles lend themselves much better to um, fully remote working than others. Um, most definitely, I think we're seeing that in our business. It's interesting to to hear these perspectives coming from different regions. I know here in America, um, obviously, you know, um, connection was the theme. We were all 
um, sort of talking about what it's been like, as you mentioned, uh, working remotely versus being able to be with each other in the physical office spaces. But um, just because of some of the, the, how can I say, some of the social movements that we've been experiencing here in America, when we think about connection and, and some of the topics that made it into our day for meaning here, were more about cultural connectedness and how to be more culturally competent and be there um, for co-workers of different cultures. So it's interesting how things play out um, across the different geopolitical and demographic regions that are part of our, our global network, I think, as well. Mm. Yeah. So um, on that note, I think we should turn our attention to the next chapter of this episode. So we also want to talk about underrepresentation of certain populations certain patient populations in our campaigns, as well as in clinical trials. Um, so for example, how has underrepresentation um, impacted certain populations and the ways that we're able to uh, do our best to address diversity in campaigns and clinical trials? Um, so I know we'd like to think that diversity and inclusion are top of mind for all of our clients, but I'm wondering if um, you've actually found this to be true or do you actually still have clients who still need to be convinced that there is a need to increase diversity, not just in campaigns, but in their actual clinical trials? So um, wanted to uh, point this question over to Vijay Sarma, if you would, please, Vijay, please remind us where you're joining us from and your role at McCann and any thoughts on this? Sure. It's, it's lovely to be here. My name is Vijay Sarma. I'm um, based out of Toronto, Canada. Uh, but I actually work for the, the Canada Health New Jersey team. Um, my role in the company uh, in the last year or so has been uh, VP of uh, Expert Audience. And so it kind of represents the clinical practice uh, of health professionals um, like pharmacists and nurses and dentists, et cetera. So um, it's, been a, it's been an interesting even from a, an inclusion standpoint to, to ensure that clients understand the channel opportunities across, across that uh, that, that the range of health professionals. Um, uh, to answer your question, I think the the challenge I think in in pit situations, for example, has been that um, many many of our approaches in the past, I guess, haven't necessarily consciously included uh, the the diverse patient populations as we as we've um, kind of tried to uh, strategize uh, what we're going to pitch with, and I think what that what that's done for us as we start to look at uh, different types of people that clinicians actually see, it, it's brought out some nuances of what happens in the real world in a real situation in an exam room or in the pharmacy, for example, and those conversations that come up with people that you, you're not familiar with. And I think it's, it's important for our clients and our brands and the people we pitch to, for example, to understand that reaching all of those people is as important as the, the status quo of whatever culture you live in, because those are the people that we're trying to influence. And sometimes culture nuances like food or different times of the year that are important for people are, are things that come up in conversation. And I find that most clients, if not all of them, have been very receptive to, the, to, the, to those ideas. And um, I think there it, it is certainly something I'm seeing come up more often in um, all of those kinds of conversations, either on on uh, off-the-cuff off status calls or pitch or, you know what, when we're working on certain projects, it, it does come up for sure. It's because 
because the expert audience team focuses on clinical practice as a as a aspect of how we deliver um, brand assets, branded and unbranded assets for that matter. I think it's it's really um, revealed some some gaps in the way we we think about the populations we see. So I want to ask you, I want to dig a little more um, about pushback, because one of the things that I've seen is that, for example, if there's been a major clinical trial, but let's say that the population was uh, pretty homogenous, right? Like there's one group of people that were studied in the clinical trial. When it comes time to launch and build a creative campaign, I've seen pushback from clients that say, hey, we can't have diverse models diverse talent represented as the patients in our ads because we might get pushback from the regulatory authorities that, oh, you're showing a patient population that was not covered in your clinical trial. And so there's been that type of pushback against diverse creativity in our campaigns. Have any of you experienced that? And how do you deal with that type of client pushback? That that does come up, Audrey, but I, but I think that, um, you know, when, when you're creating you know, specific tools, maybe uh, case-based tools that that uh, walk through a particular, and, and you have a portfolio of patients that you're looking at, target patients. I think there's subtle ways to bring some of that content in when you're talking to, um, uh, talking through a, a case of a, a patient coming in with certain characteristics. There's subtle ways to bring the, the, that content in, um, in ways that doesn't necessarily go against the trial itself. Uh, I, th- I think that's ways that uh, in which we've uh, we've addressed those kinds of issues. Thank you. I mean, Audrey, speaking from a medcoms perspective, it could be that we've just been very fortunate with our client base, but we've actually seen the reverse. So obviously we touched upon the Communique Awards earlier and, and um, part of our submission, we actually shared some diversity work that we have done with clients so you know we've had clients run advisory boards looking specifically at how they can improve diversity in their oncology trials we've worked with another client who um, are proactively doing some gender landscaping to see where they can improve so for us we've been very fortunate in that the reverse has happened and we are working with clients who are actively trying to improve diversity and inclusivity and and a lot of clients who are also trying to improve health literacy, which is another big component um, alongside the clinical trial piece. So it could just be that we've been lucky, but we have definitely um, had the reverse experience. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. I'm thinking specifically about an example that was shared with me and um, I believe it was in Germany, there was a brand who was uh, aiming for inclusion. And um, there's been sort of a trend in, I know some American ads to to try to show everybody. So there's, you know, uh, you'll have a, a Latin X or Hispanic person and a Caucasian person and a black person, an Asian person, and like everyone is in the ad, everyone all together, right? Um, and um, so this example, it was Germany. And the same thing, there was a couch and there was a a person of all these, one person representing all the various nationalities. And the pushback was that, no, like that's just not, (laughs) we're much more homogenous, like that there's not going to be these people and they would never be all together on the couch. And I'm just curious, like, um, as I think about uh, Nagendra, where you are in Hong Kong and you mentioned it's much less diverse. I'm wondering if um, 
and I know you you shared one example before, but I'm just really curious because you you mentioned racism. I'm just wondering, what does it look like um, for for patient populations? Like, what are the diversity challenges or successes that you have? What does what does a successful diverse campaign look like in Hong Kong? So uh, there have been various initiatives, both from brands as well as the government, to include uh, to to have a diverse range of representation. However, uh, often uh, we often see that minorities, which consist of either so Hong Kong has a big population of helpers who are coming in from say Indonesia or Philippines or or, or those developing countries, and then you ha- also have a significant South Asian population as well. So normally what we see is that uh, the representation from the minorities is not that much, and there have been active sort of efforts from the government to encourage that. So there will be, uh, it really helps to to have some people, some sort of brand ambassadors, if I can call them, some ambassadors who can basically communicate uh, the message in their own language. So you will usually see that the ads from the government are in the local languages and they will appoint people from the same community who can who can have a connection and who can communicate effectively uh, things which otherwise would not be possible. However, uh, from the brand's perspective, uh, we yet to see uh, that initiative, but yes, from the government side, there have been many initiatives regarding this. Interesting. So there's, it sounds like it's much more community-based or maybe uh, there's the various cultures that you mentioned, um, sort of uh, maybe newer people that have come in to the country. So, okay. Interesting. Yeah. I've got to build on that, if I may, Audrey. Of course. Um, please, Charlie. Just um, some interesting conversations that we've been having uh, with our clients here in Australia about um, what conscious inclusion means uh to within within advertising within communications and it and the fact that it should be going beyond just representing people within the ads themselves like the talent that's in there uh, of different different ethnic backgrounds but actually the insights that you get from those audiences like the example Simon mentioned before um, from our, uh, our employee who worked in Hong Kong so it's, it's it should be beyond just showing people of different backgrounds in the ads themselves uh, as representative, but but the insights that you get from those audiences. That's where it starts getting really interesting with our clients. We found. Yeah, and if I can add, uh, Charlie, one of the things that we've noticed here in Hong Kong particularly is that there might be some uh, notions uh, that people might carry that certain kind of jobs are meant for certain kind of people, and therefore you know doing away. Uh, that is, is a major task in itself, and um, it, it's encouraging to see both the government as the also the brands playing a part in, um, you know, addressing that challenge. I think that's really speaking to uh, the empathy that we we are all looking to foster in our teams and creating that more of a sense of um, belonging. Um, and I think it's also a great segue to talk about the genesis of our six C. And I do want to turn the attention now to our our Melbourne uh, colleagues and ask if you would um, please describe for our audience, what is the sixth C of conscious inclusion? Um, Maybe we should take a step back and explain the the sort of overall framework. Um, We started with five C's, now we're at six C's. Um, Simon and Charlie, would you mind sort of walking us through an overview? Uh, Of course, Charlie, do do you want to go? Sure, I'll, I'll start and Simon jump in. We'll tag team it. 
Um, yeah, so the 6E, um, you'll be familiar with it. It came out of the day for meaning a couple of years back, uh, 2019, I think it was, uh, in the Cam Melbourne office, um, where we were discussing considering the issue of conscious inclusion within the work that we do uh, for our clients and how we could better represent society through our work. Um, Australian society is extremely diverse and people from all over the world calling this country at home. So we needed to, to try and have a conversation around how the creative output, how the strategic and creative output that we were producing um, was truly representative of that. Um, so as you all know, the, uh, the five C's was McCann's proprietary tool for developing strategy and creative um, with truth to meaning in the five C's process. But there seemed to be an opportunity to directly focus in on um, diversity and the opportunity that thinking about diversity would bring. So adding an extra C to represent conscious inclusion, the idea there was born. Um, and what it really does is, is force us to find insights specifically relating to people of, of all different backgrounds um, in all situations rather than just the majority. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry, Charlie. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think we, we had a lot of debate after the day for meaning about whether conscious inclusion should should just sit across the five C's and then it becomes a kind of lens that you look through each of the five C's against. But but it's a very deliberate decision to make it, it its own one because it really forces forces you to, when you've got that blank bit of paper in front of you and you've done the other C's and you've got conscious inclusion, where do I even begin on thinking about who I'm, who's not being included? Um, it, it really forces you, you can't escape that. You have to be consciously inclusive in that moment. Obviously, uh, sorry, oh, Audrey, I was, I was just going to ask a question, actually, because obviously, uh, you know, not being um, client facing, I'm in a, you know, a supporting role. I don't obviously get involved in using the five, the, the sixth C. Like how are, how are clients responding to it? Because it, I think it's a brilliant idea um, to get kind of organisations to think about their brands being inclusive. But it'd be great to hear how it's like what how um, clients are responding yeah it's a it's a really it's a really good question i mean our we our experience is that clients are very open to the idea and and they're very open to new stimulus and new thinking and new insights that there is a challenge though which is clients typically have spent a lot of time and money to get to the brief stage when the, when they engage the agency and by then they've kind of worked out their target audience and they've kind of worked out who their competition is and they've worked out their you know place in the world um, and so part of part of our job i think is is making sure they realize that conscious inclusion isn't something that is um you know a, an extra thing that's going to get in the way of their business needs but is actually but is actually going to be a really powerful addition to it so um I think you know that's that's really the challenge that it becomes seen as something that is hugely valuable at a strategic level, mm. not as something that takes attention away from what they've decided is important. Mm. So that's one of the challenges that we've we've kind of had to take. However, I think you know the way we've approached it is with most clients is to say it's really to kind of st it starts a conversation that we haven't been having with them, um, and and I think the more. Uh, value that you can bring through the 6C, the more the, the clients recognise that it's a really important thing um, for us to have do. Yeah. And I think, is that the same for the medical, like, because obviously when you're working on a RX type of scenario, you work with the marketing directors and the medical directors, and are they as receptive, I suppose, 
to you know thinking about um, the product or the brand from that inclusive perspective because I think we sometimes it's a bit of a mixed bag. Absolutely, sure. Yes, I didn't mean to cut anyone off if anyone else was going to speak, but I had an example um, that I could share from a recent uh, client brand planning exercise that we had here. Um, and uh, not to mention client names, but uh, a large pharmaceutical company was their annual brand planning. And the way that we were able to um, approach the conscious inclusion piece of it was to just say, um, hey, in your the treatment areas that your brands cover, um, we did some research, we did the empirical research, and we uncovered articles that show these particular patient populations have been historically excluded for a variety of reasons. And it comes down to different uh, the different the social science heuristics, the biases that humans have inherently. Um, and that's true on the HCP side, the prescribing doctors have biases um, and, you know, on the patient side as well. So, for example, we had African-American dermatology patients who were, would like to be seen by uh, black dermatologists. Well, there's three percent of all dermatologists in America are black, so it's very hard to find um find one. There's, it's also very hard to find clinical case studies that show what different dermatology um, diseases present like on black skin. So there's sort of issues on, on both sides. And so once we uncovered who's been excluded, then we were able to say, look, um, you have an opportunity here to optimize your brand growth by bringing in these um, historically excluded patient populations. So I could go in, I could talk so long about this, but I won't. I'll cut myself off. I just, I'm curious if anyone else has any other um, specific examples um, from healthcare. Um, and I want to also bring in Cassidy Cardone to this conversation because Cassidy, I I know that you um, have some recent experience in incorporating the 6C, so I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Audrey. And hi, everyone. Cassidy Cardone from McCann Health, New Jersey here. So I did have the opportunity to use the Conscious Inclusion C uh, quite a few times already since, you know, we've launched it. And I think, you know, all the points I've heard so far, I've definitely agree with in that I think it's really sparked a new way of looking at the brand. Simon, you mentioned that. And I, I think our clients are always a little bit surprised at some of the findings that we have, you know, coming out of a Conscious Inclusion C. And that's been really great to your point, Audrey, too, of, of, you know, then we can kind of look for those areas that we can down the line start to solve some of those problems and create more of an inclusive, um, inclusive brand overall. So I think of, you know, we talked a lot about kind of going beyond representation and trying to ask different questions about who's being excluded from the brand or, or even from the disease. And, you know, we have to think about a lot of things. It's, it's, um, you know, socioeconomic status, health inequities, and even just emotional differences. You know, some people are, are very engaged in, you know, advocacy groups. When we think about a patient population, they might be very engaged, but then there's other patients who maybe don't want to engage very much. And maybe we don't have kind of the, the research to hear their perspective. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot about trying to think outside of the box, which is, I think, what made the, the C so useful. And when I think of some examples like, you know, um, to that point as well about, you know, our, our clients have spent a lot of money thinking about segmentation and, and what uh, audiences they want to focus on. So in, in those areas, it's sometimes a challenge, but I think we do unlock some new potential segments that hadn't been thought of before. So for one rare disease brand I worked on, you know, we kind of looked at 
the different experience of patients who have a family history of this genetic disease and those who don't, and kind of how different those journeys are. So really looking at the areas that we could kind of support those patients who, who this came to a surprise to them, whereas other patients maybe knew that this was a possibility for them down the line. So there's a lot of, of really interesting ways we've taken it. I think also to the point about uh, unconscious biases, sometimes from the provider side, you know, certain vaccines are recommended to some patients, but not others due to assumptions about accessibility or affordability. So there's really a lot of, of different areas we've taken it so far, and they've all been unique and unlocked some, some new ways to interact as a brand. Cassidy, I think I think that's so wonderful to hear. I think your examples are fantastic. I, I think, but I think you've and I think you've touched on a really critical part, which is, um, you know, the the natural place to go when thinking of conscious inclusion uh, is is obviously the, the 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 big issues around race, in particular race, gender, and um, sexual identity, sexuality, and th those are clearly some of the the most critical. Um, Kind of factors in society but i think i like the fact that you've touched on the fact that there are there are actually many other ways that you can dimensionalize diversity and uh, whether it's around um you know political views or religion or uh, socioeconomic i think even further out from those uh, primary identity sources are things around you know your relationship to your workplace or your status at work for example and what does that what impact does that have on how included or not that you are um, and then right down through to kind of issues as well. I mean, there's even, you know, very interesting kind of explorations we've started to do around on, on some brands around, actually, you know, this this brand is all just for, for humans. What if we took an animal lens on this? And like, what does that open up? I mean, in, in New Zealand, a couple of years ago, they um, attributed the rights of a person to a river because it was a living thing. And you suddenly go, that's a really interesting way to think about how far this conscious inclusion thought can push our thinking. So, so yeah, I thought it's fantastic, your, your examples of how you've pushed it into different places. And I totally agree with that, Simon. I think, Cassidy, you've, you've pointed out the fact, and I think it's really important, um, that I think it, it's not just a black and white scenario, it's incredibly complicated. And I think social determinants also play a huge, huge part in, in all of this. Um, and Audrey, I don't know if it's of interest, but in last week's um, IPG Festival of um, Festival of Science, on day one, we actually covered um, health inequalities and we discussed with clients some of the issues with, with diversity in clinical trials and also health literacy and a whole range of things. So that is definitely available to all of our team members if anyone wants to watch it and also to clients. So it's definitely, um, if, if you've got an interest in this area, it's definitely doing an, an on-demand rewatch of that session. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that resource, Alice. I'll be sure to check that out and pass that along. I just want to thank everyone again for their time. Congrats again to Alice Choi and the team um, on the Communicate Healthcare Award, the first ever award. Um, and thank you all for all of the amazing work that you do. Um, we've made some progress and there's, there's more to go, so more to do. Thank you all um, for joining from all the different times of day, wherever you are. And um, we look forward uh, to working with you more in the future. Thanks, Take care, everyone. Thank you, Audrey. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Audrey. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you, Audrey. 
That's all we've got for today. You can subscribe to Truth Well Spoken on your podcast network of choice and let us know what you'd like to hear on a future episode by emailing podcast at mccannhealth.com. My fellow podcast producers are Abby Daly and Andy Fontana. Until next time, I'm Matt Silver, and this has been Truth Well Spoken. Truth Well Spoken.